Hello and welcome to this At Any Rate podcast. I am Arindam Sandilia from JP Morgan's Global FX Strategy Team. As we've discussed in this podcast uh, over the past two weeks, the reversal in dollar strength and the onset of this phase of weakness that came about in uh, the fourth quarter of last year has gotten increasing macro support via better news on growth uh, outside of Europe, outside of the US, in Europe and China, and uh, coupled with not too hot uh, economic data out of the US. Uh, in the week gone by, these patterns largely remained intact. Uh, our economists have now uh, taken out their European recession call for 2023. Our China economists were surprised by the strength of this week's uh, December activity data dump and have once again raised their full year 23 forecast to 5.6%. Uh, against this weak dollar backdrop, of course, the uh, the marquee event of the week was uh, the Bank of Japan meeting uh, uh, in action on monetary policy that baffled a lot of people. Uh, so I have with me my colleagues, uh, Toru Sasaki, head of Japan Macro Research, and Patrick Locke from the FX Strategy team to discuss these developments in FX markets. Gentlemen, welcome. And my first question to Sasaki-san, um, you know, please help us understand what just happened with the BOJ this week. What's the thinking there? Why did they not move after seemingly having teed up the market to do so first via the shock move in December when most people were out? And then after this this, this uh, publication in Japanese press suggesting that the policy review was coming. So what happened and what happens to the BOJ from, from here on? You know, the BOJ does not seem to believe yet that there is a positive cycle between wage and inflation. The inflation forecast by the BOJ remains very conservative. Their core CPI, which excludes the fresh food forecast for uh, fiscal year 2024, was revised up, but still they see it will remain at 1.8% over a year ago, while current level is already at 4%. The governor Kuroda mentioned that the Japanese economy is still on the way of recovering and the surrounding environment is highly uncertain. What we learned uh, from this week's uh, decision was that the BOJ is not worrying about higher inflation, but they still believe that the risk for the Japan is still tilted to be back to deflation. If that is the case, even if the BOJ is actually wrong in the future, it may take a long time to prove that they were wrong. Although the next focus will be the announcement on the candidate for the next governor and deputy governor scheduled on February 10th, the candidates are likely to say they will proceed uh, with current monetary policy. The next BOJ monetary policy meeting will be on March 9th to 10th, which is about almost two, two, two months away. Also, March meeting will be the last meeting for Governor Kuroda and the deputy governors. Therefore, drastic change is unlikely to be expected. Then the following meeting will be April 27-28, so another seven weeks away. So now policy change will be far away, even if there will be. So it is difficult to keep position by expecting policy change from the BOJ. Understood, Sasaki-san. So it looks like there are some institutional constraints on the BOJ now, uh, given the change in governorship and so on, uh, for them to deliver the sort of shock that they did in December. What does this mean for the yen? We've had a bullish yen call uh, for the past uh, two, three months, since the outlook at least. Uh, but dollar yen is now lower than uh, pre-meeting, despite this BOJ inaction. Uh, and the market seems pretty convinced that an end to YCC is just a matter of when, not if. And on top of that, you have this late cycle or recession story in the US around which the yen has always been a good performer. The currency is cheap. So people like yen for a number of reasons, not just the BOJ move, 
has anything really changed in this uh, combination of factors um, other than spot having moved very quickly? It's hit our 2023 target rather quickly. What happens to yen from here? Yes. Uh, first of all, I think that the uh, recent yen appreciation uh, is simply uh, because of the expectation of the BOJ. So I would say it's a speculative movement. Uh, in terms of the yield gap and its impact on Darien, it really depends on the U.S. yield developments from here because Japan yields probably not move drastically in coming months. Even if it moves, the implication is not straightforward because, for example, uh, after December 20th, uh, which is, uh, you know, BOJ uh, changed their monetary policy, JGB yield rose due to BOJ's policy change. But the yield gap was actually widened because U.S. Treasury yield rose more than the, that of the JGB. Also, after January 18th, when you know BOJ inacted, uh, in didn't act, the JGB yield declined due to the no movement by the BOJ. But the yield gap was actually narrowed because U.S. Treasury yield declined more than that of the JGB. So. Uh, you know, look, uh, thinking about the two episodes of the BOJ action in action, actually the yield gap was moving toward the opposite side of the expectation. So, uh, uh, you know, expecting the yen movement from this kind of, a, you know, yield gap movement is very difficult. So that's why I think that, the, you know, yen movement is purely a speculative movement on the expectation of the BOJ. And then, we also have to realize that yen is no longer the safe haven currency, which means it would be wrong to expect the yen to appreciate when global economy goes into recession. The reason why the yen was uh, safe haven currency before was because Japan was a big trade surplus country. So before, uh, when market becomes risk off, global investors close carry position, which means they bought back yen. Then Japanese exporters are upset and buy back yen. That is why yen appreciated, yen appreciation was accelerated. But now Japan is a big trade deficit country. So when global investors buy back yen, and you know, for example, expecting the global recession or in a BOJ uh, action, the yen, expecting the yen to be uh, outperform. But uh, actually, if that happens, Japanese importers are happy to buy on dips in dollar yen. So the structure of the yen market has changed drastically uh, in the past several years. So we cannot no longer expect that the yen to perform, uh, over uh, outperform under the risk of environment. Th that's that is why you know uh, I don't expect that the yen to appreciate so much, other than you know. Uh, expectation of the BOJ's monetary policy change. You know, if the you know even if the yen to appreciate uh, on the uh, expectation of the uh, BOJ's monetary policy change, it is just only the uh, you know speculative movement. Uh, but uh, actually, some real real um, uh, real money movement is the opposite side. Now, Japan's trade deficit is likely to expand more, and the short-term yield gap with other countries continue to widen. So fundamentals of the yen is actually still deteriorated. So while the BOJ is unlikely to move for a while, for, for a while 
I think the yen will be sold back to some extent to some extent in coming weeks. Thanks for that, Sasaki-san. Uh, Arindam, maybe dovetailing off the back of that, you know, how are you mapping all of this, the BOJ and the yen price action over to the big dollar? Uh, yeah, no, so uh, it felt to me like uh, the weak dollar trend that's ongoing passed a, a sort of a litmus test uh, over the BOJ. And there were fears from clients on both sides, actually. So there was one line of thought that said, um, in the event of BOJ inaction, you get a sharp and durable backup in dollar yen. That may derail the weak dollar trend altogether, carry the rest of the dollar complex higher with it, uh, which only about lasted uh, half a day and reversed completely in the aftermath of the inaction. There was another line of thought that said uh, if the BOJ were to rip the Band-Aid off and dollar yen were to fall to the uh, uh, low 120s, uh, it could look and feel like risk-off take crossing down with it. And that itself could also have a bit of a, a, a rinsing of short dollar positions kind of effect. In the event, neither of these happened and uh, the current weak dollar trend is left to trade with pretty clean relative US versus non-US growth momentum, which seems fairly entrenched for now. So uh, you know, for now, I don't see how this, this weak dollar trend reverses. Uh, but uh, on the U dollar, uh, you know, it's not just... Um, you know what's happening to to macro momentum happening to relative central banks that that matters i guess but uh, sitting where you are sat uh, you're also being faced with some unwanted drama out of the us congress the us treasury hit the debt ceiling this week uh, but it feels like we've seen this movie before how important is the story from a market perspective uh, as it affects investors do you think we should care thanks um yeah, so U.S. politics had kind of become a market afterthought, you know, for a while there. Um, but the U.S. has bumped into its debt limit this week. Uh, by itself, that's not really a market event. Um, the Treasury is now going to draw on its extraordinary measures, uh, which should last at least through September, we think. Um, so the drop date, drop dead date for a technical default is still some ways off. Uh, and so despite those market headlines, I don't think there's much to price in uh, for FX at the moment, in, in my view. That said, I do think it becomes more relevant for the dollar maybe starting in the second quarter, uh, particularly because, and without going into the weeds, uh, I do think the, the political backdrop is such that this could certainly be one of the more acrimonious debt ceiling episodes of the last decade and may start to look a little bit more like 2011 or 2013. 2011, of course, was when uh, the U.S. was ultimately downgraded by the S&P on the back of that standoff. Uh, there was an FX response then uh, by our estimates, dollar weakened uh, by about three to four percent against fundamentals, implying obviously a decent a discount there. And that was led by the yen. Um, and so I think in terms of a framework, that's not a bad starting point uh, in, as we get you know significantly closer to that drop dead date. Uh, the question, I think, around the breadth and the depth of a dollar discount, though, um, we'll have to ultimately also take into account uh, kind of the state of the macro backdrop, um, including whether we're in a recession at that point in the U.S., uh, because I think that also will have a, a you know a material material impact on whether this is kind of a true risk risk off event, uh, and if there's you know safe haven demand for the dollar, or whether it actually you know enforces a more broad based uh, dollar discount. Uh, got it. And then, um, uh, you know, speaking of a U.S. recession and things that we can do to hedge against that risk, uh, one currency that you've had a very good call on for the past few months is the Canadian dollar. You covered Canada yourself. Um, you know, any delta to report there on the on the macro story? 
you know, CAD has traded, I would say, remarkably closely with the dollar at times in recent weeks, um, most notably after the October CPI was released in early November, uh, which was something of a turning point, you know, for dollar weakness then. That makes sense. Um, you know, there's a lot of similarities between the U.S. and Canada, the two macro stories there, including monetary policy. So I think that underperformance worked out, you know, broadly as we hoped. Uh, what I would say is that the beta to the dollar, I think, has proven the over overwhelming factor because domestically in Canada, the data does continue to print pretty decently after what was a pretty pretty big soft patch in the third quarter. Uh, the labor market's definitely still tight. Core inflation's looking sticky. So uh, that, in my mind, means that the DOC will definitely hike again uh, next week. That said, I don't think they can really readopt a hiking bias um, after they dropped it at their last meeting. Uh, so I don't think you're liable to get too hawkish a tone from them. Um, and going forward, you know, they're basically battling kind of a similar setup to the Fed. Um, so that's a jobs market that's holding in an elevated core inflation, um, but, you know, still trying to manage obvious signs of, you know, momentum weakening at the same time. Um, given the level of the elevated kind of starting point for yields in Canada and the very high beta to U.S. rates, uh, on top of better growth momentum elsewhere in G10 at the moment. Um, I still think that all kind of coalesces around justification for being underweight CAD, uh, even though at this point over the last couple of months, you've had some pretty exceptional moves in, in pairs like CAD-Yen, uh, Euro-CAD, Aussie-CAD, just to name a few. Perfect. Uh, so let's leave it there for this week. Uh, thanks everyone for listening to this podcast. Uh, this communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on January 20th, 2023.